You're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. We've got a great program for you today. We will uh, be chatting about ChatGPT because why not? Every week there's something new happening. Well, ChatGPT is actually listing jobs it can do better than humans. We'll go through some of that and uh, some of the scary estimates as to how many jobs uh, will be potentially lost because of the new artificial intelligent, uh, intelligence technologies that are developing. We'll also be talking uh, about uh, some cool technology from Intel for their business line of computers and laptops that uh, build or hard bake in security to uh, help uh, these business laptops uh, get hacked. Uh, and I think this is important whether you are a large company or even a small business. And are Russian hackers targeting Canadian pipelines? Well, that kind of freaks me out. We'll uh, dive into that. Got my good friend Carmi Levy with me today. Thanks for joining us, Carmi. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about some of the news stories uh, here. Uh, this first one was kind of interesting. We're digital now, and one of the uh, one of the areas or industries that was uh, heavily affected would have to be photography. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, we went from film, and digital came out, and I think basically, uh, kind of almost wiped out <laughs> digital cameras. Uh, you know, everyone's got a beautiful high quality digital camera on their phone now and i think that's the way majority of us take pictures that being said there are of course uh, still uh, digital cameras being sold but this was uh, interesting uh, carmi uh Ryko, they uh, make pentax cameras uh, they've announced a new dslr camera and this thing is uh 2200 us but it only shoots black and white images <laughs> you know it's funny this takes i'm a uh, some of our listeners may not know this, but I'm a photographer in my spare time. I've been shooting since I was a teenager. Um, and, you know, it's just been a passion of mine. And I figured if I'm going to write for a living, I should also be able to take pictures to go along with what I write. So it's kind of taken on a, a life of its own. And I've been following this for a while because when I first started photography, all I had access to was black and white photography. And I remember thinking, how do you tell a story when all you have are two colors? Um, and so for about the first six months of my phot- photographic career, it was black and white. Um, and I developed the pictures myself in a dark room. Um, and, uh, and then eventually I graduated to color, but I never quite forgot the lessons of monochrome. Um, and uh, so, I mean, it's interesting here. So you have this, this, uh, this Pentax, it's called the K3 Mark II monochrome. And basically what they've done is they've modified the, the sensor, uh, removed some features from it such that it only shoots in black and white, shades of gray. Um, so even if you wanted to shoot color, you can. And a lot of people are going, well, why don't I just, you know, get a regular camera and then just switch it to black and white in post? Well, purist photographers will say that's, it's just not the same. It's it's it, it, it has to be shot originally in monochrome. It's the way your brain thinks. It's the way the sensor records it. Um, you lose something if you have to do it in post. And so this is one of those, it's not going to sell to everyone, obviously, but to those of us who still remember what it was like to shoot in monochrome. And for the longest time when I shot film, every once in a while, I would just deliberately run a roll of monochrome through the camera because I just wanted to get back to that sort of simplicity, that purity. Uh, sometimes I do the same thing with my digital cameras. I, I'll say, today is a monochrome day, and I'll just go and shoot. And this camera doesn't give you a choice. When that is all that you have <laughs> around your around your neck, that is what you're shooting with. And it's refreshing. And quite frankly, I you know, it's... 
it's it's not as an expense like has been selling their monochrome line for a number of years they just introduced a new one um but and they're a lot more expensive that with lens you're probably looking at about fifteen thousand dollars u.s what? just to get started what? oh yeah stop it like us are yeah uh-huh. oh my God. I, I, I i kid you not like us are uh, super expensive, but of course, there's a reason why they're coveted by photographers around the world. It's for me, it's one of those, you know, it, it's a bucket list camera. Uh, you dream about having one all your life, and hopefully one day I will as well. Um, I would guard it with my life, but that's another story. So th- they have the monochrome line, and now Pentax is doing the same thing. So 2200 US, actually not that bad. And if we wait a little while, because inevitably they're not going to sell all that well, we may be able to find one at a bit of a discount. So this is something I'll be watching because you know what, if I can find one cheap enough, I wouldn't mind throwing it into my bag. Just as a kind of, you know, every once in a while when I want to exercise a different part of my photographic brain, it's cool to have a tool that forces you into that, that you don't even have a choice to shoot in color. And I think that's good for the craft. Um, And I think it reminds us that not all photography needs to happen with a smartphone in our pocket. Sometimes you need a deliberate camera that makes you think deliberately. Um, And I think it'll be good for us. It'll be good for the craft of photography. And I think it keeps things interesting. Uh, It isn't just another smartphone. It's something cool and different. You wouldn't have even expected a company like, uh, like Pentax to introduce it. I'm a fan and I'll be watching this. Let's move on to another story, and uh, it concerns Western Digital. And, you know, if you're kind of into computers, uh, Western Digital is one of the kind of leading storage uh, device companies. They make hard drives, uh, you know, SD cards and things like that. And they have had a bad month. Uh, Just uh, this past week, they uh, apparently have uh, been hacked, some ransomware. Uh, Apparently hackers say they've stolen... Uh, I think 10 terabytes of information that have a lot of Western digital uh, customers and clients information on that. So that's kind of a developing story. Uh, but also at the beginning of the month, and this is a, this affected me, uh, Carmine, I didn't even know it at the time. Uh, they sell these uh, uh, hard drives called, uh, you know, my cloud home. They're like uh, external hard drives that uh, kind of create their own cloud. So you can put all your files, back it all up there, and you're able to access them no matter where you are and what computer you have, as long as you've got your username and uh, password. And uh, I was kind of on a, a work vacation, and I wasn't able to access my, my Western Digital drive. And you know, for a whole day, I'm like, what, what am I doing wrong? It just wouldn't let me enter in my username and password. And it turns out that whole system was hacked, and it was only until this week that they got it up again. This is what frightens me about the the so-called cloud, right? Is that as we have shifted more of our lives into the cloud, so we used to install software on our local devices and we'd store data locally. um, And thanks to the advent of the cloud, now we access uh, applications, software, apps, programs, online on the web in the cloud and we store our data in the cloud and so we're we're relying on companies like western digital who provide these platforms like my cloud to do so securely and to do so in a, in a manner that you know makes it easy for us to sort of you know we no longer have to worry about drives crashing in the you know the little data closet under our uh, you know basement stairs um you know we assume that companies like western digital are a little bit more reliable but i think we're learning some hard lessons here is that uh as 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 malware as ransomware uh, in particular as the 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 threat landscape continues to intensify Companies like Western Digital are ripe targets for this because now millions of people are storing all their most valuable data on their services 
And this is where hackers are targeting because that's where the biggest game lies. And it's frightening because we spent the better part of the last decade, decade and a half being told by the marketing wizards uh, at companies like Western Digital, use our services, you know, buy into the My Cloud vision uh, because we're a lot more secure than, you know, anything that you could build at home. Uh, and now yeah, right. we're learning maybe that's not the case. It's kind of scary. And it honestly, this is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. And it makes me sort of think maybe I should go back to storing stuff on my own hardware. And maybe I should go back to, you know, Dude, backing I, it up on another drive and sharing it with I a know, friend. but I was storing it on my own hardware. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's my Western digital hard drive. And um, yeah, I mean, that was one of the features, right? I can access it through the cloud on my yeah. drive and here one of the biggest storage companies in the world can't even seem to keep their own stuff secure so you know kind of pisses me off to be uh, honest okay we're gonna have yeah. to take a, a break here but when we come back we have so much to to talk about and you need to stay tuned uh right after the break chat gpt it's listing jobs that it can do better than humans we'll also talk about how many potential jobs might be lost because of this new ai technology and are russian hackers targeting canadian pipelines you're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in studio. What's a week without talking about chat GPT one more time? Uh, it just becomes more and more popular and more powerful. It's the AI or artificial intelligent uh, language model that can write and calculate and code uh, just about anything. Uh, Carmi Levy is with us here. Uh, Carmi, it's now uh, listing all the jobs it can do better than humans and uh, <laughs> suggesting that millions can be put out of work. Yeah, I'm hoping mine isn't in there because it, it did mention copywriter, so I sort of oh, worry I'm, about I'm that. Doom, I'm doomed, Carmi. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are. Uh, copywriters, technical writers, uh, customer service reps, translators, interpreters, data entry clicks. You know, basically knowledge work that is uh, fairly repeatable, uh, I think is probably the category. And they are saying there's a survey out from this uh, executive coaching firm, Challenger, Gray and Christmas. And they're saying that about 4.8 million jobs in the U.S. Uh, are potentially affected. And they're sort of looking through the, the different areas. And we've I've seen similar numbers. Goldman Sachs threw out a number a few weeks ago, 300 million jobs at risk globally. Uh, and we always see numbers like this whenever a new technology comes along and the world is going to end and your job is is at risk. And sure, every technology kind of does that. And and I think it it this is how they get the headline. They throw out a big scary number uh, and say the robots powered by AI are coming for your job. But the reality is every new technology sort of has its own level of disruption. Uh, and so, yeah, some jobs are going to disappear. Other jobs are going to be enhanced. Uh, and I like to think that as if my, looking at my in my own mirror as a writer that, you know, I don't think AI is going to replace me. However, I think I can use AI as a tool in my job. And I think if you're on in one of those roles that's potentially affected, you should be looking at your own resume, looking at your job description and going, how do I incorporate this into who I am so that I can move up the food chain a little bit? find more ways to add value and not get steamrolled by this technology. The world isn't ending. We just have to roll with the punches. I think that's a good point. Uh, and I, I suggest to a lot of people that talk to me about this because they're scared, right? It is a, mm -hmm. a new technology and it is very powerful, but I say learn as much as you can uh, about it. And there's like so many different places to learn about it now. You can go to YouTube, uh, you can join Facebook groups and Reddit groups that basically have people just giving uh, instructions and tips and tricks and things they've learned how to use it uh, even better. And I think the more you become familiar with it, the more powerful you become as well. And so no matter what kind of job, you know, 
again, you say you're a writer, for example, you would think that's the first job to go. But I don't think we're going to get rid of human writers anytime soon. Do you know what I mean? So if you yeah. have that skill to know how to use it, that would just make you more valuable, don't you think? Absolutely. You know, this is a tool like everything else. And and if I look back at my own history, and I, I you know, we've had these debates before, right? Calculators were going to make mathematicians obsolete. No, that didn't happen. Mathematicians just added it to their toolkit. Uh, laptops, same thing. Uh, you know, the the internet, social media, uh, wireless devices, smartphones. They're all they all come with their doomsday numbers, doomsday uh, scenarios, and and big scary numbers. But the reality is, it's the smart people who are looking at them, going, "Hmm, this isn't a threat. This is an opportunity." Uh, and you know, and I spent a good chunk of my career working in IT, um, specifically responsible for bringing in new technologies that obsoleted old technologies. And I remember walking into a floor one day. There were about three hundred people working on the floor in front of me. And the system that I was leading the project on to implement uh, basically got rid of all of those jobs. But here's the cool thing. All of those people ended up finding other jobs within the company. They went from being folks who pushed paper for a living to people who learned how to program, learned how to do quality assurance, learned how to do all, all sorts of other things. And they they accelerated their careers elsewhere because, well, they didn't have a choice. They were like, okay, I've got to make a 90 degree turn. So I will. They went back to school. They took training. They, you know, spoke to their career leaders and human resources, resources, and they figured it out. So this was opportunity from change. Um, so the fact that change is happening shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. What we have to decide as individuals is how are we going to use this to our advantage? That's really the key. So 4.8 million jobs, jobs may very well disappear, but I'm willing to bet five plus million better jobs are going to be created, and it's the smart people who are going to get them first. So to your point at the beginning of this conversation, technology always changes the job uh, industry or the job environment, correct? Do you feel that it's AI is going to be doing that faster than some, some of the previous ones, like the personal computer mm -hmm. and the, the advent of the internet, for example? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think the, the the steepness of the curve with around AI is much more significant than the steepness of the curve associated with earlier technologies. So the rate of change is accelerating. So we just have to dance faster. You know, the the waves are coming at us more quickly. There's less time to breathe between one and the next. So, you know, looking at your long-term career, instead of having a career reinvention every 15 or 20 years, Maybe it's every five or 10 or 10 or 15, whatever the number is, it doesn't matter. It just means that change is now a greater reality for all of us. And it's again, it's not a bad thing because the people who are really good at change, they're the ones who are going to do better in this new environment. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, I, I I remember when I graduated university and I was getting into the job market and the thing that terrified me the most was doing the same job for the next 40 years. So we're moving into a world where that's just not even going to be a thing for anyone. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because that would be just super boring from where I sit. Yeah, again, it, it is a scary thing. Change is always uh, definitely scary. AI, it's scary too because people uh, are, are still trying to wrap their heads uh, around it. Uh, and, you know, how will it impact their particular, impact their particular industry or, or, or job that they're, mm -hmm. they're doing? But I, I think the thing, again, is uh, embrace it, learn it. 
you know, the more that you can figure out how this could make your job better, uh, I think that's the way to go. I've had so many people call me now and, you know, I'm not like an AI expert by any stretch, but, uh, you know, my advice to every single one of them is just, you know, and I've given them lists of all the, you know, the Facebook groups they can join and the YouTube channels that are doing a really good job of, uh, you know, creating videos on, on how to use uh, it better. Uh, and, you know, if you do that, you're informed and you're educated and you know what skills that you need to learn to you know embrace this new technology or just try something new do you know what i mean try a different industry exactly and the cool thing is there's all of these ai tools like thanks to the chat gpt going live it to the public last november all these tools are now to a large extent available to us so we could just go online go to the chat gtp gpt website you know, take a look at Bing, which of course is incorporating all these technologies. You know, when Google Bard goes live, use that as well. Play with it, roll up your sleeves with it, start using it alongside your everyday tools and come up with cool and creative ways to do your job, incorporate it into your job. And then like I did in, in my day work, uh, then take that to your boss and say, hey, you know, I discovered this. What do you think? Uh, and it gives you an opportunity to have a conversation, gives you an opportunity to add value and, and, and point yourself, your department, your company in interesting new directions. And, you know, isn't that kind of the point of life, right? To learn well, it, something yeah, new to and your cool point. Things? Yeah, if you know this stuff, it makes you more valuable as an employee, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. It, it, I, I tell my kids this all the time. It future-proofs you. So when, when you see these new things on the horizon, you should be the first one to be rolling up your sleeves and playing with it and getting dirty. There are no answers. There is no manual for any of this. It's up to you to figure out how you navigate it. That's really the key to career success in this day and age is how well do you navigate all of that change? And if you have that skill set, doesn't matter what the technology is, could be AI, could be whatever comes after AI, but you kind of have that ability to to adapt to change, not be frozen by it, not not fear it, but to really embrace it and go with it. We're talking with Carmi Levy, uh, all about the latest uh, on ChatGPT and, uh, you know, the prediction that, uh, you know, in some cases, millions, if not hundreds of millions of jobs will be lost. But uh, I think to uh, your point, Carmi, so many new ones will be created. We're going to have to take a break when we come back. A lot more to talk about, including security and having it hard-baked into the new laptop that uh, you might be purchasing. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network, back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in studio. We're going to talk computing now. We've got a great guest on the line. His name is Michael Nordquist. He is from Intel. And uh, I want to thank you for joining us, Michael. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I know processors might not excite everyone that might be listening, but I think it's an important thing to really know about because we all use computers, uh, whether it's for our personal use uh, or at our work and business use. And today we're going to talk about uh, Intel vPro. And uh, I I think this is important for folks that are using computers uh, for business. So can you explain to our listeners what Intel vPro is all about? Yeah, I mean, uh, Intel vPro is really just about a commercial class product, right? How do you make sure it's in there, it's commercial ready as you go through? And it's really around four key vectors. It's been around for 17, 18 years now. And it's really been about, number one, having great performance. And that's been more you know, more important than ever, I think, as we've seen people really switch to video conferencing, some of the different tools. Second thing is around manageability. Can I manage that system? Can I update it? Uh, keep it patched as I go through. The third vector is around security, and that's become more important as people work from home. And the fourth one is about stability and availability, right? Is it as stable as possible? And then do I have availability, you know, through the year as well as just internationally as many of our customers have international workforces? 
And so just for the listeners uh, to know, you know, obviously you can go into like a staple store and look at all the laptops and computers there, typically aimed more kind of consumer level. What kind of um, companies or, or businesses would look at uh, uh, laptops uh, that have Intel V Pro processors technology? Yeah, I, I think it's all shapes and sizes. I think everyone always thinks, ooh, you know, hey, VPro, that must be for just the big businesses. But when you actually look at how people use them, and, and we talk about security, almost every business, whether you're a small business, you know, with three people on it, or you're a big business with 100,000 people, you want a baseline security. You want the best security uh, possible, and you want it out of the box. So we're starting to see more people uh, shift to that as well as just manageability. You know, before it was just about walking over to a system and and fixing it. Now we've seen a lot of the service providers and even local uh, kind of places being able to manage those systems for someone that might be just in a dentist office or an insurance office or some sort of small business like that. I I have to be honest, uh, when I first started uh, the current company that I have now back in, I think, 2006, you know, obviously we're starting out and we're trying to pinch pennies. We bought the cheapest laptops (laughs) that we could find for our business. And it was like our biggest mistake. Like those laptops just... Uh, sure, we think we save money, but we didn't because we ended up having to replace them like very click, uh, quickly, I think within a year and a half because number one, the processing power wasn't great enough. And yeah, there were all sorts of security issues as well. And security is so important. And I don't, I, you know, I know people are worried about getting hacked and, you know, they don't always think that it's going to happen to them. It is happening way more than than people think. I just had a friend over for beers last night and his company, you know, they're not advertising it, you know, greatly. Obviously, they've told their customers, but uh, they were hacked through one of their employees' uh, laptops that wasn't secured properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty common. I, I've had the same sorts of things, like you're at a barbecue and you, you tell someone that you work in security and they have their own personal story that they never wanted to publicly talk about anywhere, but it's kind of their private thing that has happened. You've seen, it's not just large businesses, it's small businesses in a lot of cases that start getting an attack. And I think that the challenge on a lot of it is around security has been, people have always focused on detection, right? Like hey, I've got this software company that's going to be loaded on, it could be CrowdStrike, it could be Defender, but it's all like, once my system has been attacked, can I detect them really quickly? And that's super important. It's not that that isn't good. That's a good thing to have, but it really starts with, how can I do prevention? Like, how can I make sure, you know, I'm not getting attacked? And like, my analogy that I have is at your house, it's like, you can have the world's most sophisticated security system, but if you're leaving your front door wide open and your windows wide open, you know, bad people are going to come by and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to break in. They're already in the house. So I think some of the things that we've really focused on in the last few years have been, how do we just shut that front door? How do we lock those windows in the front and do a lot of prevention things? It doesn't mean that I'm going to stop the most sophisticated attack, the person that's going to, you know, get a ladder and go to the second floor, whatever. That could still happen. I still got all these detection things that I'm going to do. But I'm raising the level of what the prevention is from what I might have been able to see from products that were, you know, four or five years old that might be in the install base. So the VPro works at the hardware level, doesn't it? Yeah, it starts at that hardware level. I mean, that's Intel. At the end of the day, we're hardware, right? That's where it really starts. And then it's how do we work with people? Because there's certain things you can do just at the hardware level. But in most of the cases, the things that we do are working with our partners. And so... From a BIOS perspective, we do a lot of the reference files, but we obviously work super close with Dell, HP, Lenovo, the list goes on on those things 
to take some of the hardware that works together with the BIOS to protect the BIOS and firmware. We're starting to see people attack as we turn virtualization on, as we're trying to do some different things in the OS for app and data protection. Those are some things we might work with Google or we might work with Microsoft on. And then we've done more and more of, of the detection of how we take advantage of people like CrowdStrike or Defender, you know, that are two pretty dominant people to say, hey, how do we make your software even better and taking advantage of some of the hardware that we have uh, down in the, in the guts of the PC? Obviously, the larger companies are, are very aware of security issues, but I, I sometimes feel like a lot of the small businesses, they just don't really give as much thought. Maybe they don't have the time or the knowledge to really be aware and, and make sure that they're secure. And you're right. Like If you do have that proper security, and especially down at the hardware level, hackers, it's a numbers game. They are just constantly... Uh, going across the internet to see what systems are easy, like the lowest hanging fruit to get into. And if your if your laptops, your systems are more secure, they're they're going to go after the ones that aren't first, really, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, it's just like the analogy. If I'm going, if I'm a robber and I'm you know somewhere on the street, if I see a, a door that's wide open in the front, that might be the first place I go after, right? As I look through it, just because it's easy. And I think. Hackers in general will start there before they go to more sophisticated things. And so it's really upon Intel and our partners of how do I make it really easy to take those base level capabilities, turn them on, deploy them and support them, right? Because I think that's the other challenge. A lot of the small businesses that are out there, they don't have a sophisticated CISO with, you know, security operations department that's looking at all these things. They want to be more secure. They're just looking for easy ways to actually go do it. It can't be super sophisticated. They're not looking across eight different companies to do data loss prevention. And this one's doing uh, crypto mining. And this one does something else. And I'm managing them on this system. It's, hey, I maybe only have one or two different security vendors that I have. How do I just make it easy to get the most out of those capabilities that are from that security vendor? And so, of course, with uh, you know VPro technology, you're also incorporating other Intel technologies to uh, to make you know especially laptops, uh, I guess, more cohesive, uh, more of an ecosystem, uh, and things like the Evo brand uh, that uh, basically tell consumers that um, this particular laptop has you know features uh, like the latest Wi-Fi, uh, you know, instant on that type of technology. Yeah. I I think we we started, and so VPro's been around a long time. It was always targeted at businesses and a lot of times IT decision makers, right? Like, hey, I want to make sure when I buy a laptop, it has these ingredients in it. And that's traditionally been what VPro is. I want security and manageability. There's not a lot of end users that are sitting there saying, those are my two top criteria, right? That's really usually someone that owns a business or is managing that business that's really concerned with those things. And we started to hear more and more, not just from end users, but you know, some of the IT decision makers as well to say, hey, are there things that we could do with, with experiences, right? So it might have it in there, but how do I know that it's enabled and that you've worked with an OEM or you work with other, other players to have the best battery life, right? And so could you put some numbers behind, hey, I know if I buy this system, it's gonna have this great experience. It's not that it just has the capability. Someone's actually tested that to some different limit. Hey, this might be the experience that I get on Wi-Fi. It actually has some of the software loaded onto this system that might actually do prioritization of things like video conferencing, right? It's not just that it's got the hardware that's capable, it's been tested before it's gone on. That's really where Evo got created is like, let's test those experiences and, and make sure we can ensure a certain bar of experiences, independent if you buy from HP or if you buy it from Dell or if you buy it from Lenovo, 
I know I'm going to get that minimum bar. Now, some of them may go above and beyond that, but I know if I look across there, I'm going to get this level of experience. And we try to raise it every year. So as we go through, we want to every year have it a little bit higher than it was last year. So we're kind of getting the industry to move a little bit quicker than it might naturally move, as well as just have consistency to make it easier for end customers and IT decision makers to go easily find those systems. And so you'll see, you know, right now I'm using an Evo, you know, vPro system. Now, we can ever talk about branding and how great branding is and could we made it simpler, but I think there's an easy way for people to look at, you know, do I have vPro for, for that, you know, IT class uh, type of system and the, the best experiences, uh, you know, uh, a vPro with it with Evo is the best of both worlds. Best for that experience, best for the IT decision maker. I, I do like that you kind of encompass them into those kind of uh, those brand names. The, the Evo brand name, I think, has been fantastic because, you know, for a lot of folks that go in looking for new technology, a new laptop, it's confusing, right? Because there are all sorts of different brands, you know, the HPs and Dells, they all make great machines. But then there's all the specs inside, the the processor, the uh, the memory, uh, you know, much battery life. And so by by having that Evo brand, for example, you know, if you have a laptop that's got that sticker on it, it's got kind of really the latest technology that you're going to need to, to be successful, whether you're a, a student or, or a business uh, as well. Where can people find out more information about some of the stuff we've uh, talked about? Yeah, intel.com is always a great place to start or intel.com slash vpro if uh, you want more information on vpro are always great places to start. Yeah, I guess my message to a lot of the business owners out there, don't cheap out. You're going to end up paying for it uh, in, in the end. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks a lot, Michael. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here. I've got uh, my good friend, Carmi Levy, with me. We're going to talk hackers now, and this is kind of a disturbing story that's uh, surfaced this week. Uh, allegedly, uh, pro-Russian hackers have claimed to have targeted Canada's gas pipelines. And there's kind of an added twist to that now. Uh, it looks like uh, Hydro-Quebec is uh, uh, basically uh, uh, involved now as well. So what's going on here, Carmi? Uh, it looks like the Russian digital cyber warfare campaign against Canadian targets is ramping up. Uh, so the, the original story was that the Globe and Mail reported uh, that among those Pentagon papers that were leaked by that uh, member of the National Guard uh, this week, uh, there that was announced this week, uh, there were a number of documents that suggested where a Russian hacking group uh, known as Zarya that they claimed to have successfully infiltrated Canadian gas producers' infrastructure and that they were able to remotely change the settings of uh, valves to reroute pipelines to basically do all sorts of things remotely. Um, but of course, uh, there was no known uh, attack. Uh, no Canadian gas producer has reported an attack. There have been, uh, there's no evidence, according to industry uh, insiders, that uh, their, any of their systems have been compromised or are currently compromised. So somewhere between the documents claiming that there was an attack and the Canadian industry saying that there wasn't one, um, you know, obviously the truth lies somewhere in between there. But it is disturbing that that we were even mentioned in that giant uh, trove of documents that was leaked uh, to the public. And the fact that this is even uh, sort of becoming visible now, uh, it's a disturbing new chapter uh, in uh, Russia's cyber campaign against countries that they believe are are you know that are that of course are helping ukraine um fight off the invasion um and uh, in addition to 
uh, distributed denial of service attacks this week that took down the Hydro-Quebec website, that took down a number of websites belonging to ports across the country, um, as well as the website of the Prime Minister of Canada uh, just a couple days ago. Um, it is a disturbing new escalation um, from a country that is known uh, as a significant sponsor of cyber warfare, cyber insecurity, uh, and apparently Canada is clearly in Russia's digital crosshairs. Uh, it, it's interesting, right? Like on one side, they're you know they're claiming that this is or has happened, and yet the industry hasn't said anything. Like, where does the truth lie? <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, that's, you know, normally, you know, when there's an attack, like, for example, with the colonial pipeline attack um, a couple of years back where, um, you, know, uh, you know, Russian operatives were able to uh, affect petroleum supplies on the entire U.S. eastern seaboard. Uh, JBS meats, where meat supplies across much of the U.S. south and east were affected as well. Um, you know, these were it was kind of hard to hide those. Right. There's there was there's product that was shipping to uh, to a market and that shipment process was impacted in both cases. Uh, and clearly they succeeded in wreaking all sorts of havoc. Uh, what's different here is that uh, the documents say one thing. Reality says another. Um, and and a gas attack, a gas infiltration uh, on on infrastructure is very difficult to hide because if you play your cards right remotely, if you're a really good hacker, you can literally you know re you can blow up the target, and that's really the goal here is uh, cause so much damage that it would cause you know huge explosion or fire or some kind of you know damage to the infrastructure. There's no evidence of that, and if there were, uh, it would have been pretty obvious. It's not something the the industry would have been able to bury. Um, so I think we have to take it at face value from the industry uh, that such an attack has not occurred. Uh, doesn't mean that it wasn't attempted, um, but clearly whatever it was did not succeed. Uh, what is disturbing, and, and of course, within that sort of trove of documents, we do know there is evidence that other documents pertaining to U.S. military installations were very clearly doctored. So it's entirely possible that these documents were doctored as well. However, the message to Canadian petroleum infrastructure and pretty much any other Canadian company is uh, we are being targeted. And if we are underspending and under investing and under uh, resourcing our cybersecurity efforts, now's the time to go pedal to the metal on them. Now is not the time to cheap out on cybersecurity, not when Russia is rattling its digital sabers in our direction. I'm a little freaked out. You know, I, I always hope that these are kind of closed systems like, you know, not having <laughs> connections to the internet. Do, do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, you know, I, rather famously a few years ago, I remember someone did a story on US intercontinental ballistic missiles and they were laughing at them because they used, they were not connected to any kind of external network and they used eight inch floppy disks circa early 1970s uh, in order to load and share uh, programming and data um and and similar you know the, the b2 bomber also you know up until a couple of years ago when there was the retrofit program was also using some pretty laughable old storage technology because the the planes were not networked to the same degree that a modern plane would be these planes of course first flew in the 80s um but you know the thing is like obviously at some point if you want to have economies of scale you're going to have to connect them up. They are going to have to be networked. They're going to have to be part of the internet. They're going to have to be reachable, like any other internet-connected device is. Uh, and that's what—that's you know—that's the frightening part. Um, and and I'm freaked out as well. And I think Canadians should be freaked out. That's a good thing. 
the problem with cybersecurity is that most of us aren't freaked out about it. We just kind of shrug, yawn, and move on. Uh, we don't really think about the potential uh, damage that can be caused if one of these attacks actually succeeds. So this time it looks like it was a dud, but what about what about next time? And there will be a next time and, and many next times because Russia is committed to this, that they are opening up a, a front in their war against Ukraine against every other country that's helping them in the digital space. So uh, we're at war whether we like it or not, and Russia's going to keep throwing everything they have at us. The question is, are we spending enough and are we investing enough energy and resources and training and people to fight them off? And I don't. what freaks me out more is that we don't really have an answer to that, and we need that. And I think federal government, provincial governments, governments at every level uh, need to start rearranging their priorities and letting Canadians know what they're doing to protect us. You wonder what capabilities that the Americans have from a hacking perspective. Do, do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny. We we rage on, you know, the four great, uh, you know, the four biggest uh, state sponsors of, uh, of cyber warfare. So Russia, North Korea, China and Iran. Uh, but let's be clear, the U.S. has, has uh, pretty much telegraphed in recent years that they want to own the cyber warfare domain, um, that they will be second to none uh, of anyone uh, when it comes to uh, being able to protect themselves and when it comes to being able to project American power, not only in the military space, but in the digital space. They have set up a cyber cyber command um, and they are resourcing it as they would any other branch of the military. So, um, you know, the, the U.S. doesn't get a lot of publicity for it, but they are throwing billions of dollars and some of their best people and technologies at this problem, recognizing that World War Three may very well be a digital war, uh, whether we like it or not. And we need to be prepared. And I think Canada, uh, you know, obviously we're not going to spend at that level. We're not that size, but. The risk is just as great to us. The fact that we are a, a tiny percentage of the size of the U.S. and a much smaller physical target means nothing to a country like Russia. In fact, they see that as a sign of weakness, and it means they're going to pounce on us even harder. Um, so we can't afford to let our guard down. We can't afford to underinvest. Well, Carmi, uh, obviously a very frightening story. We'll be keeping on top of that. I want to thank you for joining uh, us this week. Great being here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Don't forget to listen to our sister show, The App Show. It's on every Sunday across the Chorus Radio Network. On uh, tomorrow's program, we'll be talking about facial recognition and how it has its flaws when people are misidentified, especially when they're pulled over by the police. We'll also talk about quantum networking with Amazon Web Services for the big quantum computers that uh, are coming down the pipe. And uh, Tesla, they've got so many cameras, and it's uh, been shared that... Uh, Tesla employees have uh, been uh, sharing customer images from those cameras. What does that mean? I want to thank all the folks that helped put the program together. This is Mike Agarbo signing off. We'll see you again next time.